everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bible Ask Live, where we answer your Bible questions live on our weekly show. My name is Tina. Merry Christmas to you all. I know it's Christmas Eve Eve today, so we're really excited to spend some holiday time with everybody and enjoy time in God's Word. So um, again, I'm Tina, and these are my co-hosts, Jay and Wendy. How are you guys doing today? Hello, we're great. Good. Looking forward to a slower weekend. Yes. <laughs> Yay. Mm. Yay for our holidays and time off. Amen. God is so good to give us. Um, I, I think that's so special, like, you know, God giving us holidays. Like he, you see that in the Bible, like in the Old Testament. And now, you know, we have New Testament holidays that we celebrate. I'm just so excited to be able to celebrate this special time, you know, with family. And again, with all of you, our viewers, um, spending time in God's word. And honestly, there's no better way for me to spend um, any time than studying God's uh, word in the Holy Bible. So I'm so excited to be um, hanging out with you guys tonight. If this is your first time, welcome. Uh, we, again, we're a live show. So if you have questions or comments you'd like to share, please be sure to put them down in the comment section below. We love interacting with our audience. And if you have sure any, <laughs> I know it's so fun. We've had some really great um, comments and just wonderful people out there. So we just love meeting you all and, and getting to know you and hearing what you have to say or just your thoughts or questions that might pop up. Um, on the fly. It's a lot of fun. And um, again, we're on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. So be sure to check us out on all our social media platforms. And if you like it, be sure to like and share because we really do appreciate um, you guys helping us get God's word out there and um, just spreading the truth as much as possible. So thank you all for joining us tonight. And before we get started with answering these really great questions, uh, Jay or Wendy, you want to pray for us? Yeah, let's do it. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this season that we can reflect on your amazing gift of your son and his decision to become like us and dwell with us and and even place his life as a baby in the hands of of us feeble flawed humans and we pray now that your spirit be with us to bring us into your truth into your love and hopefully into one accord with each other and this we pray in the name of your son jesus amen amen thank you so much for that all right, shall we ju jump into our first question? Let's do it. Get the first question up. All right, so Jim is asking, quite clear in the Bible, they gathered together on the first day of the week. Funny thing, man wants the credit and Catholics want the credit, but God is in control. Search the scriptures and the Holy Spirit. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate the question. And yes, indeed, God is in control. And I agree. Let's search the scriptures and see what they really have to say. And uh, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, you know, sometimes people, I think, use the Holy Spirit as a crutch to say whatever I feel is true. But what does this, does this Bible, what does the Bible tell us about the Holy Spirit first and how we can know what is true from him? Uh, Isaiah 8, 20 says, To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. That's Isaiah 8, 20. And 2 Timothy 3, 16 tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So it's all given by inspiration. And that word, the inspiration, is uh, some, I think the NIV would say it's God breathed or spirit given, right? So the spirit is behind it. Um, 2 Peter 1.20 says, knowing this first, oh, yes, yeah, 2 Peter 1, say, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, starting there, it says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture 
is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So we have the Bible, which is first and foremost inspired by this by the Holy Spirit. It might not be, you know, hundred percent, you know, the Holy Spirit dictating. I believe it was a process where man and God are working together, which is it is an incredible thought. Um, but the Spirit is behind it. So the same Spirit that inspired the Bible should be able to help us interpret it. So and I, it is my prayer that it, it, the, the Holy Spirit is always helping me interpret it correctly and pray the same for you. But let's go read the scriptures, let them speak for themselves, and hopefully let's both, neither me nor you, anybody watching, read anything into it that's not there. And we so easily can take in our 21st century mindsets and and rituals and language and, and world and try to put that back into the Bible when it's not there. We need to put ourselves in the position of the writers, their experiences, who they're writing to, and, and try to understand what they're saying, what the Holy Spirit's really saying, not read into it. So let's start with one of these first day verses. There are verses that talk about people gathering on the first day, but that's a fact. Yeah, absolutely. They met on the first day. But then there's a lot of conclusions that are drawn from that, that we have to question, is that the correct interpretation of the facts that are in the scripture? Let's start with John 20. So John 20, starting at verse 18. I'm, I'm backing up a little bit, so we have a little context here. And this is the day that Jesus resurrected. It was a Sunday. And so here we hear that Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the door was shut, where, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. So we see here that the disciples are gathered together on the first day. So are they already worshiping on Sunday? Uh, you know, Jesus just rose that day. You know, most hadn't even seen him or some hadn't seen him yet, but they just knew. Did they just know that this was Sunday and now they need to start keeping Sunday as the new Sabbath? You know, is that what happened here? And they just threw together an impromptu communion service that evening to celebrate Jesus's resurrection with a memorial of his death. Is that what happened? And does that make any sense that, uh, you know, this is a church service and they locked the doors to the building. So we have to, you know, go back and think, is, are these things making sense that people are reading into it? Is this really a church service, a communion service that they're doing and they're celebrating Sunday now as the Sabbath, just as soon as Jesus resurrected? Or is there another possibility here, which could it be that the disciples are used to living and eating together and the Bible is telling us that it's the first day to reinforce that this is still that same day when Jesus rose and met Mary. And, and you're giving us this idea of the timeline where we are in events. So we're on this still that same Sunday Jesus rose. And these disciples are gathering together to eat together in the evening like they probably would any day. And of course, you know, they're locking that door because they're concerned about their safety and don't want people intruding on them. Would that make sense? And, and in fact, uh, if you want to see, if you look at John 20, verse 1, it, it tells us earlier there that 
Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early. Is this telling us it was a first day because now Mary is celebrating it as the day of worship? Or is it giving us a timeline? This is the day Jesus rose. It was on the first day of the week. Just a fact. Yeah, Jesus rose on the first day of the week. Do we need to change the day of worship because of that? The Bible is not saying that. Now, let's uh, go on to the next verse. But before we go there, I want to give a little context. Because a lot of people read into breaking bread and always think that means communion. But we see second uh, in Acts 2, verse 46, it says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. So is this telling us that, you know, breaking bread is something that happens on communion on Sundays? Or is this saying that breaking bread is a thing that these people would do? It's, you know, it's eating, coming together, fellowshipping together, and it could happen any day of the week. So that's important to keep in mind now as we read the next verse, which is Acts 26 to 7. This is another one that people say, look, there's this evidence that, uh, you know, they're made on the first day and thus worshiping on it. Again, I'm backing up a little bit, starting at verse 6 to give us context. It says, But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. So they're going to stay in Troas seven days. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. So did they gather on the first day of the week because it was the first day? Did they gather for a church service that day? Or are they breaking bread because it was a communion service? Or, or is there another possibility, which is they're having dinner together, and we're told it's the first day, so we know this wasn't a typical church service that maybe Paul is speaking for a while because he's taking off the next day. Would that make sense? Does that fit the context of this verse? And in fact, you know, all the other verses I've shown too. And in fact, there's nothing here showing there actually was a tradition of Sunday keeping. Rather, we see that Paul was going from synagogue to synagogue and, and doing a lot of ministry work on Sabbath. We see this throughout Acts. Uh, you see Acts 13, uh, verse 14, it says, But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. Acts 13, 44, it says, On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Acts 16, 13, it says, And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who met there. Acts, uh, Acts 17, 2, it reads, Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures. And finally, Acts 18, verse 4 says, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. And this is important. Where was this happening in, in Acts 18? If we jump up to Acts 8.1, it, it tells us, 
this was in the city of Corinth. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Why am I pointing out that Paul is going to synagogue on Saturdays in Corinth? Because the next verse is another one that is commonly cited as, you know, one of those proving the first day worship verses. And this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. And it reads, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something, or yeah, lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collection when I come. And people say, see, clearly they're meeting and they're taking worship and, you know, and collecting offerings. So proof they're meeting on Sabbath. But let's look at some other translations too. Let's look at the, the New Living Translation of this. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, New Living Translation. It says, on the first day of the week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. Next one, 1 Corinthians 16.2, the CSB version. It says, on the first of the week, each of you is to set aside, um, set something aside and save in keeping how he is prospering. So no collection will need to be made when I come. So is Paul saying again that, you know, take up a collection every Sunday at church? Or is he telling each each church member to make it a top priority at the beginning of each week to set aside some money on their own, like doing it at their homes. And so that when Paul shows up, they just have to hand everything that they each have been storing up, sparing Paul from them having to go all around and collect it from everybody and trying to do all these offering calls and all these things. He just shows up and, hey, Paul, here's everything we've gathered and, and kept at our homes. That's actually. Um, the more, the more I say, true understanding of that verse and not reading anything into it. Um, and here's what one commentator also made, which makes a lot of sense. He said that Paul, by suggesting that, you know, they store up according to how they're prospering, is applying you need to do a certain level of accounting work, you know, doing computation. Okay, how much, uh, you know, what were my revenues and income and all this this week? And then, okay, based on that, I'm going to set aside X amount. This sort of calculations and math is work that these people would never do on Sunday if they were truly keeping Sunday as a holy day. So that this verse in of itself proves that Sunday wasn't their holy day. So are these verses, and, and by the way, this offering they're doing wasn't an ongoing offering. This was, a, this was going to be a one-time collection that Paul wanted to do to then fund um, take these funds and help support the people who are suffering and really poor and impoverished in Jerusalem. I mean, the Christians there were, were financially oppressed and were going to count on the, the better off Gentiles to support them in their time of need. So these verses we looked at, are they actually proving their Sunday worship or, or is that being read into the text by Sunday worshiping Christians who are hoping to justify their Sunday worship, hoping it's in the Bible? And this is where I have to agree with a lot of Catholics who say these, this concept of Sunday worship being in the Bible isn't biblical. I agree with these Catholics. It's not. And so what happens then is when you're worshiping on Sunday, are you really obeying God? Or are you paying homage to the person who changed that day or thinks they would have changed that day? And it's very interesting that Daniel 7 Verse 25 says, 
uh, speaking of this power that would emerge, this uh, ecclesiastic, ecclesiastical slash governmental hybrid power, it says, he shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and laws. Or the times and law. Interesting, it says just law here. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. And by the way, if you look that up, you also see that period of time happening also in Revelation, spoken a lot in Revelation. Is there a law that also deals with time? It's interesting, we only see that in one law, and that is the fourth commandment, telling us to keep the seventh day as the Sabbath. And it's not making the Sabbath the seventh day. It starts off, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. God made it the Sabbath day way back on the first week of creation. And, and if you think it's gone, you think Sabbath, oh, we don't have to keep it anymore. Look at Revelation 4, 14, 7. It says, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. First, that word worship there, it has prof it means profound reverence, kneeling and prostration. Prostration. Why can't I say that? Prostration. Prostration to do homage to one or make obeisance, whether in order to express respect or to make supplication. A lot of big words there, right? But you know, it, it's totally different than this idea of just flinging hands up, getting all into the music. It's, it's it's getting at obeying God, keeping His commandments. That's worship, and Revelation is telling us obey God. And so, how are you going to obey God, keeping His commandments? And one of those is remember Sabbath day to keep it holy. And remember this verse I just read from Revelation says, "Who made heaven and earth, the sea, the springs of water?" Where does that come from? That's a direct quote from the fourth commandment. And we see it in, in, in Exodus 20, verse 11. It says, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. God made it a holy day. He set it aside. And this is what it's important to understand about what's holy and what's not. Sometimes we think holy is something that just has like light radiating from it and it's, you know, glorious and amazing. And, and sometimes holy is just, it, it's set apart because God set it apart. God can separate things. The whole week of creation is God separating different things, separated light from darkness. He separated, uh, he separated the waters from waters. He separated the earth from waters and then created life and you know the creatures out of then the the earth and the waters and then he separates the sabbath from the rest of the week that was then the last part of creation there it is holy because god said it is holy and then it becomes this test then do you really trust god do you really obey god will you respect it as holy because he said it's holy or are you going to want to keep something holy because you want to do something else you want to call something else holy or somebody else other than God has said, this is holy and you want to keep that thing holy, not what God said is holy. So it's a test of spiritual discernment and I believe it has major end time implications. This is why it's a big deal to me. If it, if it wasn't a big deal to God, I wouldn't be making a big deal about this either. Um, but I really pray that um, 
the Holy Spirit will do his role to convict any of us uh, who is uh, wrong to think what is right. Uh, if it's me, sure, uh, you know, I'll gladly say I was wrong, but I just have so many verses after verses after verses where the Bible is so consistent on this. You dig deep, and the deeper I dig, the more convinced I get um, that the Spirit's really telling me the seventh day is the Sabbath. So, Tina, anything else you would like to add? I think that was very well um, put together, and I, I totally agree with that. And I've gone through the same struggle, or not struggle, but journey as well, where, you know, when I became a Christian, I was, you know, in my early teens. And I just wanted to study the Bible. I said, I'm not going to read any spiritual books. I'm just going to read the Bible cover to cover before I make up my mind as to you know, which church I want to go to and what doctrines I'm going to believe because there's so many things out there, so many ideas. And I could not escape the fact that the seventh day is the Sabbath from Genesis to Revelation. You just see it consistently. Um, and so, you know, our friend Jim, while we respect your, you know, your decision to decide what, how you will worship God and, you know, whatever day you choose to worship on, let, you know, let yourself be, you know, convinced in your own mind of that day. You know, we're not trying to, you know, push you <laughs> into anything. Um, but, you know, definitely, you know, we do want, we want all of us, <laughs> I want you, Jim, and all of us to be saved. And I want us to all be walking in the truth and in, you know, by the Holy Spirit, because, um, you know, without God, we, we can't do anything. We don't know anything. Only God knows everything. And he's given us his Holy Bible as our instruction book. And, you know, that's what we have to go by. And so, you know, when I read the Bible, the same, like you're saying, I mean, I just can't escape it. And, you know, when I read the book of Hebrews in the New Testament in chapter four, you know, the Bible clearly says, you know, you know, that, and the Lord rested on the seventh day and God's people are called to do the same. And, he, and then he goes on to say, and if there was another day, I would have told you, <laughs> but there's not. And so, I mean, there's no clear evidence in the Bible that points to the first day of the week as anything sacred. It's a good day. It's the first, like, I, I believe that God does everything, um, dual, like anything in the Bible, like a lot of things, you know, like a dual prophecy, it can mean two things. And so when you look at the, you know, the first week of creation and then the seventh day Sabbath, I, I really see, you know, when Jesus, you know, fulfilled, you know, the 70 weeks prophecy, he, you know, fulfilled it in a similar manner. You know, the first day of the week is, you know, that's a good day. It's to start work. The first day is the start of the work week. We need to get going. And that's why on the first day, God said, let there be light, which is good. Like you're enlightened, but you need to work. It's not our day of rest. Only the seventh day is this day of rest. The first day is the day, you know, of, of, you know, beginning and, you know, newness, but not in the sense of resting on a Sabbath. It's a different type of, of, you know, day. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, six days shalt thou labor. It's a, it's a work day. And so um, I just, I pray that you will be convinced in your own mind, just like, you know, Paul says, you know, in Romans chapter 14, um, in verse five, you know, mm -hmm. let every man be persuaded in his own mind. And I know he's talking about days as far as, you know, the Passover and things like that. But, um, you know, when it comes to which day you're going to uphold and choose to worship God, I just pray that you, know, you continue to seek the Lord as well. And we're going to pray for you and we're praying for ourselves too, because, mm -hmm. you know, pray for us too, because we, we want to be led only by God's Holy Spirit as well. We're, we don't think we're 
we know everything, but we just want to point everything back to the Bible, just like you're saying, Jay. And um, we we want to all take this journey together in truth, wherever it leads us. And I I want to I want to share with that too that I think it, it's important here to surrender this decision to God, to not ask for it to be our will, but you know to that God would permit us to do something, but that he would show us what his truth is on this matter. And I, I say this from personal experience because um, I, I wasn't raised in the church. I didn't know about Sabbath keeping. I mean, I, I knew that some people did that sort of thing, but I didn't really know anything about it. And God um, actually convicted me about it at one point. Um, my parents were the ones who introduced me to the Seventh-day Sabbath. And at the time, my whole career depended on working sundown Friday and sundown, or like working Friday evening and Saturday um, because of the type of career that I was in. And um, so when my parents introduced this concept to me, it was very hard to swallow. It was like, wait, like I can't, my whole, my whole career path is built on work that is going to have me working those days or those hours. And my mom said, just pray about it and seek God's, you know, seek the truth from God directly. Let mm -hmm. him be the one to, to show you. And so I did that. I, I surrendered to God. I said, Lord, I can't believe this just because it's in a book. You've had a relationship with me. You know how to reach me. And I want you to communicate it to me in a way that I will understand if this is important to you. And that's exactly what he did. And I actually had a, um, I'll try to keep this story really short, but I had a, I was driving a car at that time that was falling apart. Um, and it was a total rust bucket. And he, I prayed, Lord, keep this car running till I'm done with college. And his blessing was on keeping that car running. <laughs> and when I, after I prayed about the Sabbath thing, um, something started happening. My car stopped working on Friday night and Saturday when I was doing something that was not with keeping Sabbath. If I went out shopping, if I went, um, went back to campus to work, things like that, my car would flood out and leave me sick. It only did this on Sabbath, only after I prayed that prayer. And it was every Sabbath that I tried to do something that was not with keeping Sabbath. And I really believe that God lifted his blessing from his protection on that car that during that time to show me that this was not with keeping Sabbath. If I was just going to a friend's place to be social and connect with people, the car worked. But in the rest of the week, it worked fine. Well, fast forward a little bit, and my my car was really developing a bad gas smell, and I took it in to get it fixed. And the guy came out after taking my car apart and said, do you know what this is, ma'am? And I said, that looks like my gas tank. And he said, yes. I don't know how your car was even running. That there was only, you see these two pipes coming off? This one was completely rusted off. He's like, I don't know how your car was running. And I said, God blessed that car to keep it running. <laughs> but he lifted, but that's when I realized how much he blessed that car to keep it running. 
but he lifted that blessing when I was doing something not with keeping Sabbath. And and he gave me conviction about that every single time it flooded out, that this was his way of telling me that the Sabbath was important to him. And so um, I just wanted to share that because I think when we do earnestly want to know the truth from God and we surrender that decision for to him, he will show us if we ask him to. Amen. Amen. I totally agree with that. That's such a beautiful story. And I, you know, it's funny because I've had so many friends who've had, you know, similar things where, you know, when they kept the Sabbath faithfully, God blessed them in a beautiful way. And when they knowingly, you know, broke the Sabbath, I know God winks at ignorance, you know, Acts 17, 30. If you don't, you know, if you don't know better, I don't think God's going to hold you accountable for that. Um, I, I do believe there's going to be many people who went to church on Sunday in heaven. I, I don't mm-hmm. believe that, you know, God is, you know, going to wipe you out because you don't keep the Sabbath, you know, un, you know, out of, because you don't know. But if we do know and we know better, you know, and we do what we know, you know, live up to the light we do know, you'll see blessings that you've never seen before. And I've seen so many awesome things mm-hmm. too, where like where I've had to, either speak or, or do ministry on Sabbath and like, I have no voice, but then like, you know, um, when I'm just like, Lord, I, I need to serve you like just for that occasion or just for Sabbath, you know, he, he blocks that out. Or like if, um, I had a friend who needed to travel on Sabbath and she ran out of gas and she said, Lord, help me to get to where I need to go. I need to do ministry. And somebody picked her up. Like, they're like, I just happened to be like going that to that random spot that she was going to be at. And so, I mean, we see, I've seen so many times God's faithfulness and I know, um, you know, God will definitely bless the, you know, us when we, you know, desire to keep his commandments. And and that's what we're called to do in Revelation 14, 12, you know, mm-hmm. um, here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. And so um, I know, you know love is the fulfillment of the commandments, but because we love God, we want to obey mm-hmm. every one of his commandments. And one of those, especially is the one he called us to remember. So, yeah. Yeah. And this, the, the, I have just been so blessed. Like God has blessed me so much, I feel like, since I started keeping Sabbath. And it's just having that day of rest that he truly blessed and protected for us. Like you don't get that protection any day of the week. God blessed Sabbath to give us that protection. So, Amen. Amen. All right. Shall we get our next question up? All right, so Nancy is asking, I find it incomprehensible that the Catholic Church call a marriage invalid from the beginning after an annulment is granted. How is it invalid, or is it like so many of the rules made up as you go? Thank you, Nancy, for that question. Um, I want to make sure that we're not picking on the Catholic Church here, because we're not out to, you know, make them look bad or anything like that. Um, You know, but as far as, you know, a Catholic annulment, um, it is a little bit, um, it is something that, you know, if, if you're going to ask, you know, Catholic clergy, you know, do we just annul a marriage for no reason? No, they would say that it would be an extreme case. Um, and so um, as far as, you know, how, um, you know, the Bible, you know, says what is a lawful reason for a divorce or, you know, basically 
dissolving of a marriage. Um, the Bible is pretty clear in Matthew chapter 19, uh, verses three through five, um, where basically you see this, where a Pharisee is trying to test Jesus. And so um, the Pharisee came to him, testing him, which is Jesus saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And in verse four, Jesus answered to him and said to him, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made the male and female? And in verse five, it reads, and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And so here we see Jesus is saying, you know, marriage is very important. Um, if you go on to read um, uh, down through verse nine, and so uh, Jesus says, basically, but because of the hardness in verse eight, he says, he said, Moses, because of hardness of your heart permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. That was never God's will. And verse nine is key. It says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. And so God is very clear, or Jesus is very clear here that, you know, marriage is sacred. And the only reason, you know, biblically to basically get a divorce um, is in the case of sexual immorality. Now, <laughs> there's a lot more things that can go with that. Um, so I will say, as far as, you know, is the Catholic model of annulment for divorce biblical? Um, I would say that's um, debatable. Uh, if you look at what the Catholic Church states, it's um, a church council or basically a court, a church court uh, would define a marriage as invalid if only um, a petitioner, so one of the people who are getting married, never intended to be permanently married or faithful. And that, like usually in the case of that of mental illness, uh, drug abuse or substance abuse prevented them from consenting to a lifelong marriage. So basically if the person was like stoned or, <laughs> or drunk when they got married, they were like, okay, well that doesn't count because that wasn't really, they weren't in their right mind to be getting married in the first place. And so in that case, um, a Catholic court might define that marriage as being annulled or dissolved in that case. Again, um, the biblical model of, you know, of mar marriage is that, you know, we are supposed to be joined to our spouses for life, except for the case of um, sexual immorality, you know, whether they had an affair or if they were sexually inappropriate. I, you know, I know some people are like, well, if my husband molested children, should I divorce him? Yes, it's <laughs> definitely crafts for divorce. That's I, I still would you know consider that a definite sexual immorality. Um, and some people would also argue that um, in the case of abandonment, uh, this is mainly between a believer and a non-believer. We see this in First Corinthians chapter seven. Um, but uh, again, this is Paul saying this is his word and not the commandment of the Lord. Um, he says in. Or 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10, he says, Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. Because prior he said, you know, the Lord is saying um, uh, basically that, um, where is it? Excuse me. Do, 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 do. Oh, sorry. Not I. Sorry. I'll go back. First Corinthians 7, 10. Let's just start there. <laughs> Sorry. Now to the married, I command, yet not I, but the Lord. So God is saying a wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried 
or be reconciled to her husband and a husband is not to divorce his wife. And so, I mean, there are cases where like if your spouse is being physically abusive or abusive to your children, yeah, you can leave. Maybe you don't divorce, but you do not have to stay in an abusive situation. Um, and then in verse 12, but to the rest, I, not the Lord. So here, um, Paul is saying, this is my opinion. Um, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. Basically, if, if a man marries a non-believer, um, don't divorce her. If she's willing to stay with you. And in verse 13, it says, and a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he's willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. And in verse 14, it says, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. Um, but in verse 15, but if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. And so basically he's saying that if your unbelieving spouse leaves you because they, you know, <laughs> they're not a believer, they don't, um, they're not walking with the Lord. They just don't want anything to do with your lifestyle. Um, basically you're not under bondage in that case. And so Many would argue, well, isn't that kind of an annulment? Um, and to that, I would say not necessarily because one, this is Paul saying, this is my opinion. This is not God saying this. Um, and it's most likely the case that, you know, an unbeliever, if they leave you, they're going to go be sexually active with somebody besides the person they were married to. And so anyways, um, so as far as your question goes, um, you know, the Catholic Church calling a, a married invalid, um, you know, and granting annulments, I would say, you know, that's something that if you were in the Catholic Church, you know, the Catholic Church has its own set of rules and, and its own system and way of doing things. And, um, you know, I would respect their opinion and, and how they run, you know, th their views. But, um, you know, it's important that we just know how to live peaceably and lovingly with all people and, and respect how they perceive, you know, and interpret the scripture and, um, that we live according to the faith in the, the word that we know, which, um, and you know, if it was me, I would not divorce somebody in, except for the case of adultery. Um, and then just because that's biblical as far as I read. So anyways, I hope that answers your question. Jay or Wendy, anything else on that one? Nope. I think, uh, in, um, our, our third season, episode 30, I did a, a lengthy take on my, my thoughts on annulment too. So if you're looking for more on this, look for our live stream from, uh, season three, episode 30, I believe. All right. <laughs> All right. So we get our next question up. So Carolyn is asking, how many times does the Bible say he, Jesus, would never leave you? I was so excited, Carolyn, when I saw this, because of all the promises in the Bible, this is one that's really resonated with me and been, been one that's really special for me through all the years. And uh, so I, I, I appreciated the opportunity to really study and see, yeah, how many times does it come up? Because it it is a pattern. Uh, I noticed you said, how many times does Jesus say that? Um, so that's a good question. So I counted in the Bible eight times and all this promise comes up four times. I would say we're directly from Jesus himself four times or more indirect indirectly stated, but I know Jesus would have said it other times. So let's look at 
Oh, and I should clarify that some of these times we'll look at was when Jesus was the angel of the Lord before he became incarnated as human. So times when it was totally Jesus, nobody have any uh, doubts about that. Um, would be the first one would be John fourteen verse eighteen, and there he says, "I will not leave you orphans; I will come to you." Then we see Matthew twenty eight verse twenty. Jesus says, uh, "Teaching them all to teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always." I love that, even to the end of the age. And so that's the very end of Matthew, actually. Um, then we can jump all the way back to Genesis 28, verse 15. I, I love this one. This is um, to Jacob in his dream, you know, the, when he sees the ladder. And here's what Jesus tells him. It says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have, I have done what I have spoken to you. What a great promise there. I bet that that was so meaningful to Jacob during that time. Then we go on to Deuteronomy. Now, this is Moses speaking, but I'm pretty confident that Jesus would have spoken these words to Moses, and then Moses is now speaking them to the, the children of Israel. Uh, and, and we'll talk about why I think Jesus told Moses this. So Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, it says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Similarly, a uh, couple, two verses ahead, Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. So why do I think Moses is quoting God here or quoting Jesus? It's because in Joshua 1.5, Jesus does appear to Joshua as the angel of the Lord, and this is what he tells him. He says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Then we go to... Uh, flash forward to the time of David. David is speaking to his son Solomon. This is first first Corinthians Corinthians first um first Chronicles chapter twenty eight verse twenty first Chronicles chapter twenty eight verse twenty and David tells Solomon be strong and of good courage and do it do not fear nor be dismayed for the Lord your God my God will be with you he will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work of your service of the house of the Lord. And then finally, these words are reiterated in the book of Hebrews. Uh, a lot of people attribute it to quoting uh, Deuteronomy. So this is Hebrews 13, verse 5. Hebrews 13, verse 5. And it reads, Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you. So there's this promise repeated eight times throughout the Bible, um, at least two times clearly by Jesus, another two times I would say in Old Testament by him. And four times repeated. Beautiful promise. Tina, do you have anything to add? Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love this question. And I, I, I really appreciate that. I, that's honestly one of my favorite verses too, as far as, you know, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And that's the God that we serve. And I, um, I, I know I was checking on something really quick. I don't know if you also um, added uh, John 14, 18 where Jesus says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. 
Yeah, that was the first verse. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> no I was, I was <laughs> opening something really quick, which is funny. So actually, John 14, 17 is an answer to the next question. So if we want to keep it going. All right. That, that's get, a really good transition. Yeah. Let, let's get that question up. So Rachel is asking, my friends tell me all the time what it feels like to feel the Holy Spirit living in them. How do you know if it's inside you? They say it's indescribable, and I'd have to feel it for yourself. How? Why? Well, Rachel, I would tell you that um, having the Holy Spirit in you is very, very, very important. It is um, actually essential um, to you and your salvation. And so the first thing um, that I'll share with you as far as, you know, having is it biblical for the Holy Spirit to live in you? And so um, that is John chapter 14, verse 17. So we're transitioning now into this verse uh, where basically Jesus is saying, um, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so here the Bible is saying very clearly that, you know, if we are, um, you know, seeking God and, you know, Basically, the verses prior where Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I'll pray the Father that he gives you basically the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, and that it's important that this Holy Spirit is in you. Um, and that's how we basically we connect with Jesus is through the Holy Spirit. So yes, the Holy Spirit is very, very important as far as our salvation. And, um, you know, the Bible says in other areas, you know, like in first Corinthians three sixteen, you know, that know you not that you are the temple of God and then God's spirit dwells within you. And so, you know, we have to understand why, you know, why does the Holy spirit dwell in us? Because we're God's temple. Um, you know, back in the old Testament, God was giving the, his people a teaching tool of, you know, his Shekinah glory, his spirit being in, you know, the sanctuary and in the, you know, Solomon's temple and then Zerubbabel's temple um, that was rebuilt after the destruction of Babylon. But now God is saying what is important as far as a temple where the Holy Spirit is dwelling is actually us. We are the temple. We are the lively stones that build up a holy temple. And so it's God's people that are supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit because that's how we are um, basically like the Holy Spirit is just like the oil and we're just like this lamp. And so if we have oil, we're able to shine our light to the world as Jesus shines through us, through the Holy Spirit. Um, and so if we don't have oil, we don't have the Holy Spirit. We're just kind of this, <laughs> you know, this lamp that doesn't do anything. Um, so we definitely want to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that, you know, it's God living in us. And so, you know, how and why. So let's talk about that for just a minute here. Um, how do we have the Holy Spirit? That's a very, obviously very important question. If you look at Luke chapter 11 and in verse, um, I'll actually read verse nine as well as 13, if that's okay. Jesus is telling his people, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit here. And you see this in verse 13. Um, basically in verse 13, it says, if you then being evil know how to good how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we're supposed to ask, God for his spirit. And we don't ask in a passive kind of manner, like, oh God, you want to give me your Holy Spirit? That's cool. You know, if not, no, what we really, he's saying, seek and you shall find. Jesus really wants us to earnestly 
uh, you know, seek after God's Holy Spirit because this is a very valuable treasure that God is going to give to us, but we have to do it in the right way, in the um, with the right heart, so that our heart is ready to receive that Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will do amazing things in our lives if we are in harmony with God and His will. And um, God or Jesus says, you know that. The Holy Spirit is essential to our salvation. Even if you look at John chapter three, verse five, when he's speaking to Nicodemus that in that very famous um, chapter in John chapter three, again in verse five, Jesus answered, because um, Jesus is telling him, you have to be born again. You know, you, you were once born in the flesh, but you need to be born again. And he's like, how? And Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, which is baptism and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So it's very essential that we are baptized in not just, you know, the water baptism. Yes, we make that physical de decision to be immersed in water, but we're baptized by God's Holy Spirit. Now, some people might say, well, how, what does that look like? Does that mean I have the gift of tongues? Does that mean I'll you know, do all these things? Not necessarily. Um, the gift of tongues is a gift that was given to God's people um, mainly for the the purpose of edification. So somebody was supposed to speak um, maybe in tongues and somebody was supposed to interpret. So it's not just babbling for the sake of speaking in some foreign language. That really isn't always a, an identifying marker of having the Holy Spirit. Um, honestly, if I was going to say what is an identifying marker, how do you know you have the Holy Spirit, is you'll see it um, in your life. And you see that um, as far as having the fruit of the Spirit, um, and you see that in um, Galatians chapter five, verses 22 and 23. So the fruit of the spirit, you know, basically the result of having the Holy Spirit is this, and that is um, having, uh, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such there is no law. So if we have the Holy Spirit, we're going to exhibit these character att attributes in our lives. If we have the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be angry and hateful and mean. Those are not attributes of somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit. Somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit is loving and kind and joyful and patient and good and is, you know, humble and, you know, is, is self-control. They're not out of control. They're not you know, violent. They're kind people. And so those are attributes um, that show you that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart and in your life. Now, um, just really quick as far as, um, you know, what the Holy Spirit can do through in your life too is, um, is that the Holy Spirit will speak through you. And that's not necessarily always, again, in tongues, but, you know, just speaking what God would have you to say. Um, that's how God's prophets always spoke since, <laughs> since forever, um, God's spirit spoke through them and, you know, God's spirit moved the writers of the Bible to, you know, write down the prophecies that have been written, um, for us, you know, as far as scripture, but Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, um, he's speaking about a time where, you know, we're going to be given up to judges and courts. Like if we're, um, basically being persecuted for, our belief in Jesus. And Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 15, he says, assuredly, I say to you, it will be more, oh, excuse me. Um, excuse me. I apologize. Uh, verse 20. My, I'm sorry. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 20. And Jesus says, for it is not you, um, 
basically when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak for it will be given to you in the hour what you should speak. So again, Matthew 10 verse 20, I apologize. For it is not you who speaks, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. So again, God's Holy Spirit will do amazing things like speak, you know, God's word, his message during that time. And so, and I can say from all honesty that that has happened in my life and I've seen it where, you know, I've been asked to speak. And I remember one time I was very nervous about it and I kept trying to write down what I was going to say. And God kept stopping me. And I was like, God, I'm, I'm what's going on. And it wasn't until the morning I was driving there that, um, I was like, Lord, you didn't tell me what to say. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to be there in 15 minutes. What am I going to say? I'm supposed to speak for this, this church. And, um, the Lord said, I will put my words in your mouth. And that's what I, I felt God say in, in his spirit. And as soon as I got up, I said this very long, elaborate speech to which, you know, people came up afterwards and said, God led me here to hear this message. And I was like, this wasn't my message. This was God's message to you. And so I'm, I'm, I praise the Lord that he, you know, blessed you. And again, it's only by the Holy Spirit. And um, I'll just end this, uh, my answer really quick by quoting uh, one of my favorite verses. And this is Zechariah chapter four and verse six. And basically um, he, this is during the time where Israel was being basically trying to rebuild from their dis utter destruction by Babylon. And so this is during the time of the Medo-Persian empire. So well before Jesus came, but um, God was still calling his people to get ready basically for the Messiah. <laughs> and um, in Zechariah chapter four, verse six, uh, and he answered and spake unto me saying, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel. So that's the person who helped rebuild the temple um, and saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So basically Zerubbabel was called to do an impossible task, which was to rebuild the destroyed temple. And he, and he was like, how am I even going to do this? We have no resources. We're under bondage. You know, we, <laughs> we're, we're not a free state. How do we do this? And it's like, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. And it really is the Holy Spirit will, that will do amazing things if we simply let him work in us and work through us. So um, I do pray that the Lord speaks to your heart today and that you ask for the Holy Spirit. And as you ask for it, you will experience the Holy Spirit in your life. And again, um, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, you'll see not so much in you know, like miracles or speaking in tongues. I mean, those things are great if, if they happen. And obviously God can do all things. But the greatest sign of having the Holy Spirit again is the fruit, the changing of your character to being, you know, having that love, joy, peace, patience, all those things that you see in the book of Galatians chapter 5. 22 and 23. So um, I pray that the Lord blesses you. And I pray that you, as you ask and seek, God will respond and fill you with his spirit so that he can speak through you and do his will in your life. Jay or Wendy, anything else? I, I just want to reinforce what you just said, because that's spot on. And I really think it is that fruit of the spirit in you. Is that is that manifesting or starting to grow in you more and more? And that's the best sign. Because we we often have a misconception of what a spirit is and the Holy Spirit is very much the character of God. And I'm not saying, you know, the Holy Spirit isn't a separate being or entity, but it, it very much is a, the personality, the character of God that then can be imparted into us. And, and then we should be brought into God's image. And so many people 
yeah, just are attracted to the power, you know, and the miracles mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. And and then the the speaking and what they think is speaking in tongues. And these things have nothing to do with the orderly, peaceful. Um, I mean, just the peace that, yeah, the Holy Spirit really should bring. God is not a God of dis disorder, not a God of chaos. He's a God of of, of harmony and beauty and these sorts of things. And when you when you see that, to me, that's really the Holy Spirit at play. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I was just thinking of a verse, and now I can't <laughs> remember exactly where it's found. Um, but basically, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. And definitely, I agree with you saying, like, he is um, he demonstrates the character of God, just like Jesus demonstrates the character of God, uh, but in a different way because they each have a different role. Um, but in the New but Testament... It, but yeah, the Holy Spirit is the indwelling of God, where Jesus is the fullness mm -hmm. of the Godhead bodily. So that's mm -hmm. kind of the difference. So so yeah. Jesus is like, hey, it's a good thing I leave because then now the Holy Spirit's going to come and dwell in you and you have an even more intimate interaction with God and God can be with all of us and in us and we can abide in him and him in us. And it's just... He's like, you guys should get more excited about this. Amen. And where's the verse found where it's basically saying that the spirit is an earnest to your salvation, which means like, I know oh, you- Oh, a down you, payment? A down payment. Isn't that amazing? Like- Yeah, yeah, I guarantee. <laughs> um, but yeah. I remember when I read that, I was like, wait, what does that mean? Like an earnest? Like, like I thought earnest, like earnestly seeking, like being eager about something. And somebody told me, no, it means that the Holy Spirit is like your, the down payment on your salvation, that God is giving you the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. as like a down payment saying like, I am promising the, you know, eternal life to you. I'm promising your salvation and the way I'm showing you my down payment for your salvation is giving, yeah. giving you the Holy Spirit. Oh, so, Paul actually repeats that three times. Um, yes. Probably the best one is Ephesians 1, 14. I look for mm -hmm. I'm reading from NIV. Uh, it says the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. This is the NIV, not oh, the CSB version. Okay, yeah, that's CSB. <laughs> that's okay. But yeah, that's absolutely true. And I'm, I'm just so grateful that God's mm -hmm. given us his spirit. Um, you know, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve Jesus. We don't deserve the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But God is so loving and so merciful and kind. He gives us the best gifts. And so I... Yeah, I would say keep asking until you get it. <laughs> and, and, and and we should clarify, like we all have a certain portion of the Holy Spirit. It's not like yeah. we're totally lacking unless we have completely rejected God. We all yeah. have a, a portion of, of the Spirit. So it's a matter of saying, Lord, I want more. Double my portion, give me more. And, and you know, and mm -hmm. more you get, the more is expected of you. And, and the more you cooperate, more you do, you're supposed to do, um, more God will give you more. And it, so it, it's it's a process. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, some people get it suddenly, right? But it's for most of us, it's going to be a day-to-day -day dying and asking to be filled, um, just like Jesus would daily go and pray to be filled. Amen. And and one way I would say too, you know, as you seek in, through prayer, you know, asking the Father to give you the Holy Spirit, you know, um, just spending time in worshiping God because there's a really beautiful verse in Psalms 22, um, just really quick, and it says. Uh, in Psalms 22, verse 3, it says, For, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabits the praises of Israel. And so it's God who inhabits praise. And so as we, you know, the you know, the four, basically it's the spirit that comes into us when we, we praise him in true praise, you know, in spirit and in truth, God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so not just, you know, some, 
you know, phrase that we feel like doing, but worshiping God in the way in which he desires worship. And um, I believe that God, that's a huge part of, you know, having the Holy, inviting the Holy Spirit into your heart, into your life. So just, you know, making an attitude of praise and keeping the attitude and that's maintaining the Holy Spirit in you. All right. Do we have one last, right. one, one more question for tonight or do we finish? Did we get the last one? <laughs> I think we've uh, actually, we need to end here for now because we are five, four, three, two, one seconds from being at the hour mark. So yeah, we'll close here for now. Uh, we want to thank everybody who's joined us tonight. And uh, we just, you know, praise the Lord for um, your, you guys joining us and, and um, spending time with us in God's word. We do pray a blessing over your life and your study of the Bible. And if you have questions that you would like submitted to our show and you'd like featured on our weekly show, be sure to go to our website, bibleask.org forward slash live. And we would love to um, feature your question on our show again. And um, if you like our con or you like what you're hearing, please be sure to like and share our content. Uh, again, we are on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. And so uh, we do appreciate that. Just trying to get God's message out of the Bible and um, end of God's word. So um, we will close here for tonight, but we hope to see you again next week. Um, next week will not be live. We're just going to let you know that because of the holidays. And so, um, but we will have a new show, just a not live show. <laughs> so I hope, I hope you still join us and enjoy um, what we have there. So um, we want to close with a quick word of prayer. Uh, Jay or Wendy, you want to pray for us? Sure. Lord, we thank you so much for your wonderful truths, your messages that give us hope for um, a closer deeper walk with you and we pray that your spirit can be with each and every one of us to guide us into your truth help us to set aside our biases our preconceptions and um, the deceptions that we have been taught and all these other things that just uh, that distract us the things that get in the way of us having a better understanding of you your will and your love lord and we pray that you can, you can pour out your spirit on us to bring us into your character and be with everybody during this holiday season to uh, bless them with family, with friendship, with fellowship in some way. And this we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for that. And again, we want to uh, just thank everybody for joining us. And we hope to see you again next week, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. All right. Good night, everybody. And God bless you. Thank you.